0: From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking.
1: There's no question that the Missouri General Assembly accomplished a lot over the 2021 session. But one area where they didn't gain a lot of ground is election administration policy. Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft had a lot of high hopes for this session And the Republican statewide official joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to talk about the future of photo identification requirements and making it more difficult for constitutional amendments to pass. Let's hit the music.
0: This is the politically speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics.
1: We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive, iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me via phone in Jefferson City is a man whose blood pressure has probably dropped by 50 percent since announcing he's not (laughs) running for the U.S. Senate race. Our special guest today is
0: Jay Ashcroft. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you very much, Mr. Secretary. Um, I want to talk about what didn't happen this legislative session. There's There was a ton of things that occurred, um, a lot of things that a lot of Republicans and Democrats have been working for for years that ended up getting to the finish line. But a lot of the election administration things that we've talked about Over the last few months did not make it. So we're talking about a government-issued photo ID requirement. That that means uh, several weeks of in-person, no-excuse absentee voting, and also efforts to overhaul uh, initiative petitions and constitutional amendments. Uh, What was your reaction to Friday coming and none of these things making it past the finish line?
0: Well, I I was disappointed. Um, And I think that the people of the state are disappointed as I traveled the state uh, this past several months, especially after November. Uh, people wanted to know not only that um, our elections were secure last year, but that we were doing what needed to be done to make sure that they would be kept secure and that people could trust them and know that if they were registered, they could easily vote for years to come. And to see something that is so important, really on both sides of the aisle, although there may be some disagreements about specific election years. Um, both sides of the aisle take elections uh, seriously. And it would have been great to get some some changes done so that everyone could have faith in the results of our elections and not be worried about what they saw happen in other states.
1: It's not a secret that you are are not wild about expanding the absentee process. You've said for a long time that you think that the best way for things to go is for people to vote in person on election day. But from talking with you before, it seemed that you were somewhat amenable to pairing the, the resuscitation of the government issued photo ID requirement with maybe two or three weeks of in-person, no excuse, absentee voting. And that seemed to be the plan going through the House, but it hit a brick wall in the Senate. Do you have any insight on, on why there wasn't able to be a consensus on that particular issue?
0: My understanding was, and you're correct, um, I had agreed to uh, a compromise. Uh, I'm not a fan of of expanding the people that vote before Election Day beyond the people that really have to. Um, But I had agreed that with the other election reforms in the package, um, I would be okay. I wouldn't fight uh, three weeks of of no excuse in-person voting. Um, However, my understanding is that when it got over to the Senate, the – the decision was made that they should make that six weeks of no excuse voting. And um, that was just a bridge too far. I think it's very important uh, that when you're working with bills that you don't get so wed to a bill that you're willing to take any compromise, regardless of what it is. Um, I thought that there was good faith good faith bargaining that was done before the session and during the session to come to an agreement that not everybody was ecstatic about, but we all agreed would move the law forward. Uh, And then when some of those pieces started changing, when people started to try to remove the photo ID uh, requirement, uh, I just could no longer support what they were doing.
1: Democrats are never going to vote for a bill with a photo ID requirement, but they may be willing to let it go through the process if they chip away at the excuse-based absentee part. Um, Was that kind of your understanding, too, of like why there there needed to be at least three weeks in there as opposed to just keeping the excuse-based system static?
0: I will just say that my understanding was uh, that there was uh, at least 20 votes uh, without having uh, no excuse voting in there. Um, And it seems to me that that there were enough votes that two-thirds of the legislature agreed on something. I don't know why they just didn't vote on it and pass it and do what the people wanted.
1: Can you explain why you're not wild about removing the excuse system when a lot of local election officials say it doesn't really work and there's really no way to prove somebody's excuse is actually true?
0: Well, um, first of all, I don't think we want to incentivize people voting early. Um, The best example of that is with our presidential preference primary election, where we have people vote early. And by the time the election rolls around, the person they voted for is no longer in the race. Um, We actually have people that are reaching out to our office asking how they can change their vote because their candidate has dropped out of the race. Um, I think that people voting early kind of unfairly pushes the scale down for incumbents. So I guess I ought to like it since I am an incumbent comment. Um, But I don't like that idea. I I think the administration of the election, I think we ought to make it as evenly balanced for all the candidates. Um, And of course, you never know what changing information will occur, pro or con, for your candidate, against your candidate, or the other individual. Um, I just think it's best to have people vote on election day at their polling place, show their ID. We get results quickly. People have faith in the process.
1: So let's talk about next steps. There have been some Republicans that want a special session for election-related items. One of them is House Elections Committee Chairman Dan Shaw. And here's a clip from House Speaker Rob Viscobo responding to a question about whether he supports that particular special session endeavor. I haven't had an opportunity to talk to the Chairman Shaw about, about his letter, about uh, about what he's requested. Um, I will look into that. Of course, we're, we're disappointed that uh, those things died at the end of session as well. So it, it's another dis- disappointing loss for, for our, our caucus and for the chairman of that committee who's put in, and the vice chairwoman of that committee who's put in a lot of work on that issue. So uh, it's disappointing to say the least. So Mr. Secretary, what's your thoughts on this? Do you think that the governor should call a special session to deal with the issues that we, we've talked about in the first eight minutes of this podcast?
0: Well, clearly I think we should. And I I should uh, shout out to the speaker and to uh, Chairman Shaw of the Elections Committee. They both did a wonderful job of pushing to get election reform done. They were great help. They worked with me. They They listened to me. And I appreciate that. You know, when it comes right down to it, the people of the state passed a government-issued photo ID requirement uh, in 2016 with a 63% majority. Um, When you poll that issue, you see that it has bipartisan support. Um, People from every party, independents, Democrats, Republicans, you name it, understand that a photo ID requirement makes sense. And I just I don't understand why uh, the Senate was unable to pass such a simple, easy, common sense piece of legislation.
1: One of the things that the Senate leadership said, especially when you're talking about the efforts to make constitutional amendments harder to pass, either by increasing the amount of signatures required or raising the threshold for passage from a majority to two thirds, is those have to be approved by voters. And if they put that on the ballot in 2022 as opposed to now, it it wouldn't really make a difference as far as its trajectory. Uh, What do you have to say about that? I know that the photo ID and uh, no excuse situation is kind of separate from the initiative petition overhaul, but they're kind of connected in this larger question of overhauling elections. So I'd be interested in your take on that.
0: Well, the first thing I would say is that when it comes to the uh, constitutional way of of, of amending our Constitution and doing that through the initiative petition process, what I support is raising the vote threshold. Um, I have concerns about raising the signature requirements just because I think it's virtually impossible for grassroots organization to do an initiative petition that will amend our constitution. We're just almost reserving that ability to people with millions of dollars, and I don't think that's appropriate. But I do think it's appropriate that we should only change, only amend our constitution if a wide range, a broad range, a large percentage of Missourians agree with it. And of course, um, you've been around uh, as long as I have at least with this and we've been told year after year after year we'll do it next year oh we can do it next year this is something that i believe is not only important to the people but it's important to the future of the state we should go ahead and do it and not be worried about the politics of whether we do it this year or next year it's the right thing to do do it.
1: Now, if those end up getting on the ballot, I imagine that it's going to elicit opposition not only from left of center groups that have used the initiative petition process more commonly since Republicans took over state government, but also maybe conservative leaning groups that want to use the initiative petition process to pass constitutional amendments when Democrats get back into power. Um, What would you... What would be your argument about why raising the threshold to pass a constitutional amendment is a good idea? Because a lot of ordinary people who like initiative petitions may say, you know, this is taking away our ability to get around an intransigent legislature.
0: The first thing I'd say is I don't think it's problematic at all if people are on both sides of the issue. If we have a great public discussion about how our government should be run and how we should be amending our constitution, I think that's a great thing. Uh, secondly, our constitution is about 10 times longer than the federal constitution. That's ridiculous. How long you have to be a member of the uh, elks Lodge before you can hand out bingo cards is in our constitution. That's stupid. Um, you know, just raising the vote threshold isn't going to stop people from being able to put something on the ballot. It isn't going to stop citizens from making something uh, subject of discussion. It just kind of says, wait a minute, does this really need to go into a constitution or should this be in our statutes? Um, are we just over legislating? Are we over constitutionalizing everything um, or should we think about it twice? And I, I trust the people of the state. Um, I firmly believe, rightly or wrongly, that when the people of the state are given the information, they make good decisions. And I'm happy to take something like this to the people of the state. I think they'll do a great job with it.
1: Speaking of uh, initiative petitions and referendums, I, I learned uh, before this interview started that there has been a referendum submitted to your office to put a gas tax hike up for a statewide vote. For our listeners, this this was passed, like I think, early in the last week of session that will raise the gas tax, I think, 2.5 cents every year for five years. It's supposed to gather about a $500 million in additional money for roads by the time it's fully implemented. Can you sort of explain what the referendum process entails and what benchmarks the group that submitted that referendum needs to do in order to put it up for a vote?
0: Sure. Under the Constitution, the people reserve the right to send to a state election anything that passes both chambers of our legislature. So any bill that is passed by both the House and the Senate uh, may be put to a vote of the people. And if the people vote yes, they vote that they want the bill, it goes into effect. And if the people vote and say, we don't want that, it will be as if it was never passed by the legislature. Now, the process for doing that is we have an organization, um, AFP, Americans for Prosperity, that has filed this referendum. They will now um, you know, If they follow the process, they will then uh, start collecting signatures from the voters of the state. They will need to collect signatures from six of the eight congressional districts. And in each of those congressional districts, they will need to collect an amount of signatures equal to 5% of the people that voted for governor. Uh, in 2020. So roughly they'll need between 107,000 and 112,000 signatures, depending on exactly which congressional districts uh, they gather signatures in. And they will need to turn those signatures into this office by August 28th at 5 p.m.
1: We'll be right back after this quick break with Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft. I want to ask you about another proposal that kind of came out um, in the, the waning hours of the legislative session, and that was an effort to have certain elections subject to runoffs. And these elections would be U.S. Senate contests, congressional races, and statewide races. There are a lot of things about Eric Greitens that he has to answer for not only to like reporters like me, if he ever decides to speak to me, but also to Republican voters that may be leery about why he resigned. And it seems that this proposal, even if people deny that it's because of him, it seems like it would just be a lot easier to make a solid case about why he shouldn't be the GOP Senate nominee than putting another election for local election officials to run between uh, June and November like can you address that point because I think that there's gonna be a lot of local election officials who are gonna be like we're already swamped as it is having like a big election in June and a big election in August is is a lot just to respond to to one primary
0: well first off I would say that I think we saw in 2020 that we have local election authorities that can do a spectacular job in extremely difficult circumstances, circumstances that we've never seen. Um, I think it's, uh, I, I will always, uh, be a little bit, hmm, when, uh, we're adding election dates. I like the idea of trying to, to, to combine elections so that we have better turnout so it is easier, easier for our clerks. But I, I have, great faith in in, in the people that run our elections and our poll workers uh, that if something like that were to pass, we would be able to do that well. Um, I know that our office would spend a lot of time uh, and I would be putting some miles on the car, making sure the voters understood the changes. It seems to me that it would be much uh, better to talk to the people that put that bill forward to see what their thoughts are. Uh, as to t- instead of talking to someone that obviously is against that party and is against what they're trying to do. Um, and it, it it it's almost a little bit unfair to say, well, obviously, they must have been doing what the opposition party said they were doing. I think it's it's important to see uh, what the people that submitted it say that they were thinking of why they did that.
1: Do you think that this I think that this issue could reemerge either in a special session or maybe next year? Is that kind of your understanding, too, even though I think I've heard that A lot of House Republicans were not super enamored about this idea for various reasons.
0: I think we could have several uh, special sessions. I mean, obviously, we're going to have the veto session. Uh, I expect that we'll have a special session on redistricting after we get the redistricting data, either sometime in September or the very end of September. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we have a special session dealing with federal funds, uh, we have billions of dollars in the bank right now from the federal government that the legislature did not allocate and the governor did not ask them to allocate. Um, you know, one of the things I've always said is if roads are a problem, let's put $2 billion we have in a bank toward those roads and make an immediate uh, difference there. Um, I also think that we will probably have a special session dealing with FRA, that uh, that amendment, that tax, sorry, not that tax that is used to help fund Medicaid uh, that didn't pass. So I, I think we could have several special sessions. Um, and if, if the governor calls a special session on elections, I'm very happy to talk with legislators about how we can make differences to make sure people have confidence in their elections going forward.
1: Well, you're an excellent segwayer because you put out a statement statement. statement about the entire federal reimbursement allowance issue. And this is a tax that medical providers like hospitals place on themselves essentially to drum up money for the state Medicaid program. In fact, I'm a big Twitter user, as you know, and former state representative Chris Kelly has often used that uh, proposal to heap praise on your father, former governor, and former U.S. Senator John Ashcroft, because I think that came about during his gubernatorial administration is that correct first of all
0: it may have I, I must admit i wasn't concentrating on fra issues when i was about 12 years old but i think you're right
1: yeah i i mean i, I mean <laughs> of course you were you're an engineer so i think that you were paying very close attention to this I, I look i understand the the idea of of trying to leverage a bill to try to get something else done uh, senator bob onder wants to put into statute that you can't put state taxpayer dollars to pay for Planned Parenthood. Senator Paul Whelan wants to make sure Medicaid doesn't pay for several forms of contraception. But there there are probably even some Republicans who are like, this is a really important bill, and we can deal with those other issues kind of in isolation. Uh, What's kind of your view of this situation, which I think is going to be done in a special session, and I don't think that these tensions about trying to attach those two other issues are going to just magically disappear just because legislators are going into extra time?
0: Well, you know, this where we are where we are because of the Missouri Supreme Court. Um, This is not new language. This is new language on the FRA. This language used to be put on the budget where we had appropriations for Medicaid. And what happened was the Missouri Supreme Court ruled that you could not put this language on the budget. You had to put it on actual statute, like the enabling language for FRA. So this is language that virtually, if not all the people in the legislature, have previously voted for. The only difference is the court said you can't put it on the budget, you need to put it in statute, so they put it directly on FRA. So anyone that's telling you, oh, we can't have this sort of rider, we can't have this restriction on Medicaid funds, is not being honest with you because we've had this restriction and they've all voted on it before. Um, And I think it's important that the people of the state, Missouri is a pro-life state, and I believe that we ought to follow the Hippocratic Oath, that first we do no harm. And when we provide for abortions, we are not doing no harm. Because if an abortion is done correctly, at least one individual is killed. That's the truth. You know, it is science. They are genetically different. Um, And I applaud people for standing up and saying that on something like this, taxpayer dollars should not be used directly against the right of conscience of so many taxpayers in this state. The state of Missouri should not be paying for someone to be executed without due process first.
1: Um, before we get to the last subject of this conversation, which is about state workers going back, I, I, I ask you this every time I talk with you, uh, what is kind of the the status about moving the filing date next year? From, from when they release kind of the uh, population numbers, I actually heard that they may release the granular census data maybe closer to August than September, which may kind of reduce the need to move the filing date. But it still would be cutting it really close, especially if there are lawsuits over the state legislative redistricting maps and the districts change because of those lawsuits. Where are we at on that particular issue?
0: We're kind of in a holding pattern. Um, I've had discussions. I've tried to meet with leadership of both the Republican and Democrat parties. Uh, I've met with legislators about potential ways to move the date if necessary. Uh, We've kind of gone through the checklist of how many days do we have to have? How do we make sure we can get absentee ballots out in time if we move filing or anything like that? So we've done kind of that pre-work of being ready and knowing what's required. Now we're, we're in a holding pattern to see exactly when that data comes in. Uh, and how quickly we can move on that data. Uh, As we were talking earlier, I expect there to be several special sessions this year. There, I assume, will be a special session on redistricting. If they do uh, during that special session, they could go ahead and move the filing date as needed. Right now, I would probably say it's probably 75% chance they do end up moving that date. I hate to do that, but I think we're in a position where we probably will have to um, but we're trying to just wait and see because we. I prefer to make as small or a few changes to our elections as possible because I don't want to confuse voters. But we're ready to do it if necessary.
1: The final topic I want to talk with you about is recording this on Monday, May seventeenth. It's probably this. This podcast will probably be released uh, later in the week, and this is the first day where state employees are supposed to be back in their offices. This was a decree from Governor Mike Parson. It, it it sparked a lot of discussion, I think, not only online, but in various news articles, because I, I think that a lot of people in a lot of different professional sectors are talking about going back to the office. I'm recording this from St. Louis Public Radio Studios right now. What have you heard as far as feedback from people in your office? And what has your office been doing during this pandemic? Has there been remote work or is this kind of a a a new normal for the secretary of state's office starting on May 17th
0: Well it it's not a new normal for us uh the governor's uh executive order uh, does not apply to the secretary of state 's office. our employees are not employees of the governor they're employees of the secretary of state 's office um, so you 'll frequently see press releases about all state employees when it, it really isn 't all state employees there are employees for different boards and commissions that actually don 't report to the governor also um, The Secretary of state 's staff has been back for uh, over a year now um, at the really the height of the uncertainty and concern about the uh, coronavirus. Probably, in the March time frame we we had uh two maybe three weeks where we went down to a real skeleton crew of about thirty people of this office. Uh, because we were that concerned about the safety of our employees. But we never actually completely shut down. Um, March was still including candidate filing. We still had to be open for candidates to file. We still had people that came in uh, that needed things notarized. We were still doing business service filings. But we went to that skeleton staff for about two, maybe three weeks. Then we ramped up to about 120 employees thereabouts. And we did that for about a month, maybe a little bit less, and we just said, you know what, we can do this safely. We have faith and confidence in our people. And uh, for over a year now, all of our people have been back, other than, you know, maybe someone's on FMLA or something like that. Uh, And it's been great. Um, I have wonderful people that I'm privileged to work with at the Secretary of State's office, and um, they have put the work of the people front and center and done a great job. And we have not seen any uh, COVID diagnoses that we could in any way uh, figure that they had come from being in the office. Uh, we have had people that got COVID, but what we've maybe 100% of the time found out it was a boyfriend, it was a girlfriend, it was someone outside of the office that brought that to them. And I'm just, I'm really proud I'm I'm really humbled by the work that the Secretary of State employees have done. And frankly, I think that they're an example for the rest of state employees.
1: Well, I want to talk about this more broadly because I think that the announcement was made before the CDC announcement that people who have been vaccinated, they still have to wear masks in certain situations like airplanes or, or buses, and they may still want to wear masks if like a private business says, you know, please wear masks. But I do feel like that announcement probably changes the conversation about returning to state government as a whole. Um, How do you think that that is going to impact how people feel about going into work? How do you think that announcement changes this entire discussion about people coming back in person for state government?
0: Unfortunately, I don't think it changes the announcement that much because it wasn't an announcement that was based on science. Um, There is nothing that happened from a scientific standpoint uh, the day before that announcement or a week before that announcement that made them suddenly uh, change their announcement. The science has been showing uh, that these uh, uh, sorry, that the the vaccinations are effective, uh, that they stop people from the vast, vast, vast majority of people from getting coronavirus and that if people do get it, they have a very mild case. Um, the study has shown that if you have the vaccination, that you're not passing that on. There's actually been data that showed that even after just one dose of the two-dose uh, vaccines, there was a precipitous drop in the ability to transfer uh, coronavirus or to get it. I think that um, was from
1: Israel, if I'm not mistaken, but I, I, that well, may be a difference. Israel Israel's
0: be- one of them, but there have been several of them. And what it's... So, I, I unfortunately, I think it's become not a matter of science, but a matter of politics or personal belief. Um, and and I think that's really unfortunate uh, that we haven't been able to follow the science. And frankly, if you if you look at the science, if you look at the aircraft carrier where we saw individuals get infected, if you look at the cruise ship that we had off off the coast of Japan, we had case studies very early on that were indicating that this wasn't what we thought it was. And I'm glad that the CDC has finally gotten around to almost being Uh, aligned with the science. But as for me in the Secretary of State's office, if people here want to wear a mask, that's fine. I trust the people of this office to make their own decisions. Uh, Maybe it's because I'm Secretary of State and I help run elections. I trust the people. I believe the people of this state are smart enough to make their own decisions, and I've spent enough time around the legislature and other elected officials in Jefferson City to wholeheartedly believe that the people of this state are better at making those decisions than their elected officials.
1: Well, Mr. Secretary, thank you so much for your time this morning and for all of our stories. You can go to stlpr.org. Politically speaking, is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can find me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How could people find out more about the Secretary of State's office, either through wondrous social media outlets or through just typing in something on Google Chrome or any other browser?
0: S O S. dot M O. dot G O V. S O S. dot M O. dot G O V. at Missouri S O S. They pay our salaries. If they have questions, reach out. We are glad
1: to help them. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long.
0: from St. Louis Public Radio.
1: This is politically speaking.